and welcome back to another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with those movers and shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, production designers, costume designers, composers, uh, film editors, sound editors, sound mixers, you name it. We talk to them. And boy, oh boy, doing a lot of talking here on BTL the past few weeks. And I've been doing a lot of talking, uh, doing one-on-one interviews at home this past week. Twelve in one day on Tuesday. <laughs> Seven on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, Pam's making a face in, in the in the booth there. But wow, you know, actors are back. They're available doing interviews. We're in award season. Golden Globe nominations came out this morning. No real surprises there. It's all Barbie Heimer. You know, nine, uh, ten nominations for Barbie, not eight nominations for Oppenheimer. Um, the big surprise to most people are no Best Picture nominations for The Color Purple. Uh, but not a lot of surprises in the television realm. Golden Globe noms. Succession. Picked up nine nominations. So we will see what happens on January 7th with the Golden Globes. This is like the first big year back after all of the kerfuffle that's gone on for a number of years with diversity uh, allegations and all kinds of inter-mess-ups. I'm being kind. I was trying to find a non-profane word. Um, So we'll see what happens. That's on January 7th and... On January 8th, when BTL starts its 10th year, we'll be talking about what happens at the what happened at the Golden Globes the day before. But today, and we should be getting a call any minute. For those of you, our regular listeners, you know, we've been dealing with some phone issues because phone companies suck. You know, I call it like I see it. Phone companies suck. Big Nick is here in the studio with me to because we have we're facilitating the phones through a cell through the computer to the uh, to the mix board to go out live um yes they do they suck uh, but we should have joining us today <laughs> Ta- filmmaker tyler norwood to talk about his new documentary fireline uh it is a fascinating documentary. This is the third documentary that we'll be talking about on BTL this year. Uh, the prior to, uh, that's about fire. Uh, previously, we talked about with the filmmaker of Odd Hours, No Pay, Cool Pay, about the viol- volunteer fire departments throughout the United States and their importance. And also Elemental, which is a fascinating documentary that examines the history of firefighting, the history of fire, the preventative and ecological impacts um really two wonderful wonderful documentaries and now fireline is also an excellent documentary that focuses on firefighters on the front lines during the devastating dixie fire in california a few years ago uh as one of the uh, oes representatives who uh did, was, did an interview during the documentary california is the disneyland of disasters Yes, indeed. So, and then 
The midpoint of the show, Justin Best will be joining us, writer, director, composer of It's Funny, It's a Dark, Dark Revenge Thriller Comedy. Uh, just how far is someone willing to go to look perfect, thinking that will make their life perfect? Um, it's a fun movie. It's twisted. So you all know I like that. Um, but Justin should be joining us. I don't know where Tyler is right now, though. Um, he should have called in already. My goodness. Uh, Pam, can we pop on? Uh, you know what? While I try and find out where Tyler is... Let's uh, pop in. How about the wonderful one-on-one interview? Let's get in the Christmas spirit. The interview with Reginald Hudlin, the director of Candy Cane Lane. It is the number one streaming film in the country right now, starring Eddie Murphy. It is Christmas Beyond Christmas. And it's written by Kelly Younger and actually... It's inspired by him growing up living on Candy Cane Lane in El Segundo, California, which is famous for the neighborhood and the decor and decorations. So let's shift gears here while I find out what happened with Tyler and take a listen to Reginald Hudland. Hudland talking about the magic and Christmas of Candy Cane Lane. Hello, Reggie. How you doing, Debbie? I can't tell you how excited I am to be speaking with you about Candy Cane Lane. Oh, that's so great to hear. I am a diehard Christmas movie fan. And I love it. you more than fulfilled my wildest expectations with this film. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. This is go big or go home, light, bright, holly jolly. Everything about Christmas you have packed in here, including a parade marching band, Santa, the 12 days of Christmas coming to life. This is Christmas from beginning to end. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. That was my goal. My motto making this movie was more is more. Well, you sure gave me more, and I absolutely love it. One of the going beyond your cast, which is impeccable, I've got to talk to you about some of the production elements here because they are truly outstanding. Starting with your work with your cinematographer with Newton Thomas Siegel, you brought in the perfect person to capture light, bright, lots of movement. Just I know you worked with him before on Marshall, but just in he knows comedy, we saw that years ago in Turner and Hooch. He knows how to do spectacle and light and bright, thanks to Bohemian Rhapsody, and still find the heart within the visual tonal bandwidth of the film. And with so much going on, logistically, what were you and Thomas do? What were your thoughts on how to visually bring the grammar uh, into play here to make this more means more? Well, you know, Tom and I are good friends. Uh, we love working together. And, you know, having made a small movie with him with Marshall, I said, 
All right, Tom, let's do it again, but we're going to do this X-Men scale. We're going to pull pull in all those talents that you have doing those big Hollywood spectacles and, and apply it to a Christmas movie. He totally got what we were doing, and, you know, he's been my right hand for, uh, and he, we just, you know, we worked on storyboards and previs and all that stuff, but we still left room for creativity and improvisation on set, and we just kept trying to top the topper at every turn. Well, you sure as heck did, and it's the lightness and brightness, the polish that this film has that really is the icing on the Christmas cake here. Because you do keep everything light and bright, even when we get into the world, into Pepper's mindset and uh, some of the things that she does. It's still, you never lose that Christmas sensibility. And that's so key here in this story. Oh, thank you. Uh, and that was the goal. I mean, you know, for me, uh, you can't appreciate the, the light without a little bit of darkness, without a little bit of edge, a little bit of terror. Uh, I think uh, that's an inherent part of it. Um, so, but at the same time, you don't want to lose the thread, and that's the balancing act making a movie like this, uh, where it's a fun Christmas movie, but we've got jump scares, mm -hmm. we've got car chases, and we've got kung fu fights. Absolutely, and it's just at every turn there's something else that's so visually appealing, but it all stays true to the story which is so important. Now, a really, char a really charming aspect of this film, Reggie, is your little porcelain town. Pe Pepper's little Victorian porcelain creations. And it doesn't surprise me that you got Formosa involved in this on the sound. But number one, the VFX on the little porcelain people that are actually fine china the sound is so impeccable. It is actually the sound of fine china if you would be clunking it on a table or something. It's not a heavy porcelain. The sound design and mix is impeccable in this film, Reggie. You know, you're exactly right. I was very, uh, we really talked through what it meant to make made out of, uh, you know, be an ornament, right? To be a glass ornament. And that sound, like, what would they sound like? And, you know, how much of it is enough to evoke it without being too distracting? So we really did a lot of experimentation, and we found a, a sweet spot. And thank you for focusing on my mix team, because, man, they killed it. They really invested in the movie, and they did beautiful, beautiful work. Uh, and it's a challenging film because... Mm -hmm. You know, there's the score and uh, all the sound effects, and uh, there, there's a lot going on in almost every scene, and they always manage to balance it all so your ear knew where to go. Yeah, I mean, just Greg over at Formosa, your supervising sound editor. I mean, for my money, Formosa is always flawless, and you really push them with this film because of so many of the sounds that you've brought up you know, right down to the Foley, and then the mix is so key in this film for authenticity. We have the sounds of geese that are squawking in the skies. We've got the nine ladies dancing. We've got the sound of the pipers. We've got a marching band. We've got a drum line. Uh, and 
you know, every turn. And the Foley work is just spot on. Spot on in this, Reggie. And that's something that I think I'm so happy that you cared about that in this film. Because there are filmmakers that would kind of overlook that. But you clearly did not. And I thank you for that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you noticing that load of detail. Uh, most folks can't appreciate the, that kind of production detail. So it really warms my heart that you're plugged in and you actually know who's responsible for this work because, yes, we spent a lot of time on it, but I just, I mean, whether the audience uh, knows it or not, it just grounds it all in reality with all this fantastic stuff. When it sounds right, when it feels right, you just, it, it just makes you buy into that reality. And you never, sac you never sacrifice dialogue, so we don't miss any dialogue because of all of the other elements that are happening, especially the musicality. Um, and that is so important. So that just thrilled me to no end. But hand in hand with the wonderful Foley and the sound mix and design is the score, which is just absolutely fantastic. It's peppered with all of the Christmas motifs plus original motifs that are plugged in there. The, in, the orche orchestration and the instrumentation is spectacular. Um, the strings, the string music that Marcus has pulled in is just, it's a, it's a holiday delight. And then you punctuate that with the parade marching band stuff. What were you looking for musically in your work with Marcus to really bring this to life and give us this total immersive Christmas experience. Uh, again, I appreciate your fine ear and your fine sense of taste. Marcus and I have been collaborating from the beginning of my career, from House Party, Boomerang, all the way through the process. And this was us finally having the resources to go to the next level. Uh, obviously, he has an amazing career as a musician, producing everybody from Luther Vandross to, uh, to Miles Davis. Uh, but you know, to have, you know, a huge orchestra, uh, you know, we had choirs in Abbey Road that we had uh, uh, doing singing elements, and then uh, infusing that with jazz, in infusing that with hip-hop, um, you know, interpolating all the different Christmas motifs so that, you know, you just didn't miss a beat. Music is such an integral part of any Christmas celebration. So again, we wanted to, you know, hit you in the feelings with all that stuff and to add new stuff. Uh, I remember us being on stage and the executives from Amazon going, oh my God, people are gonna write and talk about this score. No one's ever done anything like this. So I really, you're, you're, the, you're the first of hopefully many people who uh, point out the uh, really extraordinary work that they did on this movie. Where did you do? Was the scoring done up at Universal? Okay, we did it. No, we did it on the on the Sony stage. Oh, okay. You did it across the street from me. Oh boy, I wish I had been there for that. Well, I for my last question, Reggie, I've got to ask you about: Is there anything that you wanted to include in Candy Cane Lane that you did not get to include? 
Were there any darlings you could not have it just fit in here? Well, it is inevitable in a movie of this scale that you have to kill a couple of your darlings. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> you know, if you watch the movie, you know, we've got a little bit of an outtake reel at the end, yep. which only shows a fraction. That was just us clowning around. There, there are a couple of awesome scenes that... Uh, I can't, I mean, I, they, they were the right things to cut, but there was, but the work itself was excellent. I just, for the greater good of pacing, uh, things, great things had to go. So there's some great, great things on the floor. And maybe one day in the deluxe DVD edition, uh, we'll share those with the world. You include those, Reggie. I'll be the first one in line to buy that. Let me tell you. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, this is the, again, this is the, the, the new world we live in in a streaming world do those things exist I, I i hope so so do i reggie thank you so much for taking time in this busy day to speak with me about candy cane lane and thank you for making this film i want a sequel well thank you and i will pass the word on <sighs> thank you reggie bye-bye bye-bye take care have a great holiday you too What are you doing? What? I'm just mowing the lawn. No, it's blazing hot and dry out here. Don't you remember? Smokey Bear says... Avoid using power equipment when it's windy or dry. Where'd you learn this? Oh, it's on... SmokeyBear.com with many other wildfire prevention tips. Right. Thanks, honey bear. Because remember, only you can prevent wildfires. Brought to you by the USDA Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. When you purchase the latest TV, tablet, or smartphone, don't forget to do the right thing with your old ones. Recycle them. The Consumer Electronics Association and its members are making recycling your old devices as easy as buying new ones. Just go to greenergadgets.org, type in your zip code, and you'll instantly find the recycling location closest to your home. You'll also find recycling tips, like asking the store where you buy your new TV if they'll haul away your old one. Don't let your old tech tools clog your local landfill. Just visit greenergadgets.org. Energy Efficiency Interviews are brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Matthew, you know energy-saving light bulbs last six times longer than that old bulb in your lamp. Uh, yeah, well, I don't even live here. Matthew, dinner's ready. I never met that woman. It's your favorite, Matt. Lasagna. Uh, don't you people knock? Just give me the energy saver. Millions of kids are using their energy wisely. What's your excuse? Learn more at LoseYourExcuse.gov. And welcome back to Behind the Lens. This is the joy of live broadcasting. We've already switched things up. Um, Tyler Norwood is kind of missing. The publicist is trying to find him. Uh, our next caller is calling in in eight minutes or so. <laughs> so um, I'm thinking, well, let's see. I'm thinking here that, Pam, how long is, is Aaron? I'm, I'm trying to get a minute count here. 13? Well, then. We're going to stay in a holly jolly Christmas mode with Candy Cane Lane. And 
one of my favorite production designers ever uh, is Aaron Osborne. And he's the man who came up with the mastery. Oh, wait. Do we have... Do we... We might have... Well, we might have Tyler calling. Up. Oh. Hello? Tyler, is that you? Yes, it is. Hi, Tyler. All right, folks. Hello. We now have Tyler Norwood with us to talk about Fireline. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much. Well, I have to say, this is... I love the documentary. I think it is a great perspective. This is the third documentary this year alone on firefighting, firemen, um, just absolutely wonderful. And this, mm. this is a unique perspective in that we are actually on the fire line with firefighters at the Dixie Fire. Um, the first thing that comes to my came to my mind is how did you get such great access to be on the fire lines? Because some of that footage is just incredible, especially with the crew as they're waiting. They're going to protect one house, then they get told leave, then they get sent back, and they're there for hour upon hour upon hour to hold that line and to have you there filming. Uh, is just amazing. So how did that come about? Well, um, thank you for that great question. Um, so one of the things that we've always done at, at Quotable Pictures is really get invested in the kind of world that we're going into. Um, so there is a weird, unique law in California where you can just go out on the fire line as a citizen journalist or member of the press and like technically legally have the right to be there. It's not the same in like Colorado or Oregon. Um, but that would only get you close to the firefighters, but you wouldn't be able to embed with them. Um, and so we wanted something deeper than that. We wanted to give people a perspective of what it's like to be one of these guys rather than to just sort of see, see them close up or, or from a distance. We wanted you to feel like you were a member of this team. Uh, and for that, we had to go to the governor's office. We had to go to the firefighters union and we had to talk to representatives from Cal Fire and 11 different uh, fire jurisdictions up and down the state in order to get unilateral access to being in the fire engine, not just nearby, but like in the fire engine with these guys before they get their mission. So we're able to know what's going to be really exciting, what's going to be visually interesting, and then just jump in. So um, that part of it, that part of it was a logistical problem, but it, it netted, I think, really special results and a different perspective on this world than I'd ever seen before. I mean, this is something I had never seen either, Tyler, which really uh, just... I mean, that was so mesmerizing and nail-biting because you don't know, as, as you hear them, okay, it's, you know, 400 yards away. Okay, it's 300 yards away. Yeah, it'll be here in 10 minutes or so. And you're just like, and they're just standing there calm as can be, ready and waiting. Yeah. Um, and, it, uh, you know, on the flip side, it gives you great confidence and makes you breathe a sigh of relief knowing that these are the men that are protecting us. Uh, so Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think in some ways what I saw in their eyes was like this insane alertness, um, like this level of like attenuation to the danger they were in that like um, was very eerie for me to sort of be in this place before the fire gets to them where they're just waiting. And so some people report these fires can move through heavy timber at like 20 miles per hour. So it yeah. can come really fast. 
And so it can go left, it can go right. It's all dependent on what the wind is doing. It's all dependent on like on like how the terrain is. And so these guys are reading all of these signals to say like, is this 200 foot wall of flame? Is it coming right at us, or is it going to go to the left? Or like you know what can we do? Because the thing that they would kind of tell me time and again was they don't really have any ability to stop anything that's coming right at them. Right. Um, a lot of what firefighting is is kind of like um, parrying. It's like a it's like a uh, fencing term but the idea is that like you know you kind of want them to go you want the fire to kind of go one way and run out of gas and like steam and fuel is actually how they talk about it um and then and then you want to kind of intercede and do whatever you can do to put it out really quickly but if if something is burning really hot and it's moving really fast and the wind is blowing their only recourse at that point if those are the signals they're getting is to get out yeah um and so it was a really powerful experience i i think it's one of those moments that you could never plan for when you're putting a film like this together, because I, I had imagined like, we're going to shoot backdraft, um, but it's going to be in the woods. Um, <laughs> the thing that actually I found was the most like gripping, tense, like powerful scene to me was that moment where these guys are actually helpless in a lot of ways. They're helpless. Yeah. And they're just trying to understand is like, is it, if it goes this way, we can save this house. If it comes right at us, we can try and put up a little bit of a defense, but like we just basically need to get in the truck and get out of here yeah. before the flames overtake us. And that's that's a really common story for wildland firefighters is if you get that wrong, almost like quite a few of them can tell you a story of getting it wrong and having to get inside the fire truck and then having the flames just whipping around the, the truck. And then what you'll often see is like, you know, the paint bubbled up, like mm -hmm. it gets to like you know, 120 degrees inside the cabin of the fire engine. It was like these really harrowing stories of like what happens if you get this wrong. And they've even, I mean, there's, there's things, incredible stuff where it's like, you know, it's, it's so dangerous. And they, and they have, again, so little ability to stop something. Like they talked about, you know, they, the fire engines have so much water on them, right? Yep. And so these guys were like, this water isn't enough to really do anything all the water in this whole fire engine isn't enough to do anything if it's coming at us. And so it was just all these moments of really understanding this elemental force that they go up against and trying to get my head around like this reality that they live day in and day out where there's nothing happening, let's say for a day or two at a time. And then in four hours, their lives are on the line and everything is at risk and they need to be the most alert and the most proficient they've ever been. Um, that, that really felt to me like the, the truth of their existence and something that I thought we could bring to the screen. And if we did it right, uh, it would be a great ride for an audience and a, and a really good window into a world that very few people have like an in-depth understanding of. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was just fascinating watching this and to actually hear their candid thoughts when they're sitting in the cab of the engine and the frustration um, you know, of their, their brigade leader who's sitting in there and he's like, we shouldn't have left. We could have saved it. We could have done it safely. And then you leave and then, as it turns out, no, go right back to where you were. But you hear that frustration because they so desperately want to help people. They want to save their homes. Yeah, and they don't want to die doing it. So the interesting yeah. thing about that scene that you're bringing up is yes. that Basically, so uh, Justin is sort of the, the leader of the group, and mm -hmm. he was 24 at the time. I think he's like 25 and a half, 26 now. But, like, um, 
he's the he's the the biggest adult in the room, right? He's the dad of the of the family. He's taking the kids. He's driving the car. And and then you have Riley, who's 22 in the passenger seat, as kind of the second in command figure. And then you have Travis in the back seat, who's 19, and he's only been doing this for a year, and he's freaked out. Like he's like he's seen some stuff in his one year of doing this that like he didn't plan on. And so in this moment where they're getting pulled out, Justin's like, we're fine. We can stay. Like, I don't want to go. Like we can save this house. And then like, he's getting the mission, the, the orders from the top saying, you need to get out of there. And Travis is all too happy to get out of there. Yeah. He's like, I totally agree. This is not safe. Let's go. They pull out, they go back down to the freeway where it's like semi safe. There's at least backup. There's at least like a kind of a, they've circled the wagon. And, uh, and, and then, the first thing Justin does is try and get back to where they just were. And he starts using his personal cell phone to try and call other people and like sort of politic to like get back to that place. Cause he believes it was safe. And then you kind of cut to the back seat and Travis is just sweating bullets. Cause if Justin can get what he wants, they're going right back to this place that they just got ordered out of. And, um, and it goes into this really great little sequence about the way these, these tense situations and the things you see doing this job really start to like weigh on you so that you're a little heavier every year you go back out. So if you've been doing that job for a long time, you've seen so much. You've been Call from Justin oh. Beth. Oh, we, our our, our phones are, our phones are still a little funky here today. You still there, Tyler? Hey there. Okay. You're st Tyler. Are you still on with us? I'm right here. Okay, well, now, because our our phones are still wonky, we've got the next oh, guest okay. that's already coming in on this line. Because you were late. Okay. You, were, you were tardy calling in. Shame on that's you. That's fair. Shame Thank on you so much. I want to have you back on the show, though, Tyler, so that we can okay, talk yeah. more about Fireline. Okay. I love it. Okay. Thanks, Tyler. All right. Bye-bye. No See you. Bye. Okay. Hopefully, come... By the next time we have call-ins in January, all the phones will be functioning. And talk about functioning. I hope this is this is Justin Best on the line. Are you there, Justin? This is. Hi, Justin. I'm here. You're here. You're here. Yay! Thank you for <laughs> bearing with us with our still phone crisis that we've got here in the studio. Um, but I'm so glad that you could join us to talk about this deliciously dark <laughs> revenge thriller that's full of laughs. Um, Cheryl. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Debbie. Yeah. I'm, I'm real excited to be here. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. This is, I'm watching this film and uh, number one, I'm just, I'm just cracking up. I'm laughing <laughs> just with the character of Cheryl and an amazing performance by Anthea Neri Best. Um, her performance is just, you have to laugh at her. You have to laugh at this woman. Um, mm -hmm. and she is hell bent on her looks and she has to be perfect and she obsesses beyond obsesses. And, <laughs> you know, well, I'm going to be perfect so that my boyfriend, Ted, who is really kind of a scuzzball. Uh, you know, tells her, you know, she, she doesn't look good. She does. She doesn't look good mm -hmm. compared to other people. She's kind of chunky, uh, but 
she th- she keeps thinking if she does what he wants, that'll make him love her. And this is this is a great subtext you have happening here throughout this film, uh, Justin. It's not all about revenge and quote-unquote horror. Let's face it. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of subtextual commentary happening here that I think is wonderful because it's a real eye-opener for some people as to really what social media, what just the innate stupidity and cruelty within some people, Mm -hmm. the kind of trouble it causes. And in this case with Cheryl, she goes on killing sprees with her boyfriend, Ted. (laughs) Well, Debbie, thank you so much for, uh, for all of that. And, and I'm so happy to hear that you had fun, you know, um, and that you were laughing because that was one thing we definitely wanted this film to be fun. You know, it's, it's uh, a 72 minute thrill ride. I like to say it's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. You know, it's just, um, we wanted to, to build up this fun world. And then, like you said, you know, there is a lot of, of message of context there. If all you want to do is watch a, a woman, a fun woman chopping up bad people, you can do that. But if you want to dig a little bit deeper, um, yeah, definitely. You know, we, we have that message there and we all spend a lot of time. I mean, that's credit to the cast and crew. You know, we all spent a lot of time, like really, how can we, um, build up Cheryl and her world in a fun way, but also in a way that is going to convey this message of, you know, today there's so much, um, you know, emphasis on image and it's like comparison culture, this Instagram culture where yeah. um, people look and they think, oh, if I if only I had that guy's muscles or that girl's legs or whatever, then then I would be enough. And so we really wanted to to shine a light on that as well. We like to think of it as like a little protein cookie. You know, we've got the, the chocolate on the top there. Uh, that tastes really good and draws and draws you in. And then inside, there's also, you know, some protein in the form of, of that message. No, I mean, that's one thing that really stood out for me. And, and the dialogue is so well done. So that it's like, ooh, you know, and, and she's on a date with somebody after getting rid of Ted. And now she's, <laughs> Cheryl's going out <laughs> with this detective. <laughs> and... Uh, Detective Reyes, beautifully played by Christopher Sandana. And mm-hmm. in the middle of a conversation with him, all of a sudden she goes, oh, oh, look at that nose. Look at that nose. And she gets up and she walks out on the date to go running to the bathroom to follow this woman with a perfect nose. And, <laughs> you know, there's humor there, but there's a lot of sadness there that you see mm-hmm. this. And I like how you have put this in our faces but done so with humor and with tragedy. Thank you, Debbie. Again, you know, I I just really feel like um, when I watch a movie, I want to have fun. And, you know, I think, again, we do have that message there. And I just really think that the way to, for me personally, to to get the message across is through the humor and through the fun. Um, You know, I hope people have a good time when they see this and then uh, they go home and, and they, they do like start a conversation or start to think about how they perceive themselves and why. But I, I think that scene that you're referring to specifically was, was one that we spent a lot of time about because it is really a turning point for Cheryl in her journey where she can choose. Like, is she going to choose uh, this guy, uh, Detective Reyes, who, as you said, played beautifully by Christopher Sandania, um, you know, or is she going to continue down this path of, 
of murder and, um, you know, perfection, the pursuit of perfection. And so we wanted that to be a very clear turning point. And so I'm glad that it resonated with you. And ultimately, she does go after, um, you know, the pursuit in, in that instance. She the, goes the down the rabbit hole. <laughs> she keeps going. Exactly. <laughs> keeps going. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, what makes that scene so poignant is the fact that you have Rhea sitting there at the bar with drinks telling her you know how pretty she is how smart she is how much he likes being with her he wants another date with her i you know he's not asking for anything he is taking accepting her and liking who she is sitting in front of him of course not knowing her serial killer ways but it's you know it's you see that and she's smiling and you think great she's going to she's going to find herself a good guy and uh, I don't want to give away a spoiler here, but it's it involves Reyes and his partner and uh, the mm-hmm. serial, uh, the murders, all these murders that are happening. Um, but you're like, oh, yes, she can turn her life around. Great guy. But nope, she just, I got to go. <laughs> I got to go. And she's headed and it's like, got to go to the restroom. And she's yelling. Excuse me, excuse me, as she's trying to get this woman's attention. Uh, and yes. the thing, I think if we all stop and think about it, we all know people like this. Sadly, mm-hmm. they're not serial killers, but we know people like this who are obsessed, unhealthily obsessed with this idea of physical per- perfection. And that's going to get you love. And that's one of the strongest things that come out of this film, Justin. Well, again, Debbie, thank you. And, you know, I think that's really a, a credit to Anthea, Anthea Nearbest, who plays Cheryl, you know, to be able to convey, um, you know, so many uh, feelings and emotions into Cheryl, who is ultimately a serial killer. But along the way, you know, we feel this empathy for her and, and the sadness for her. Uh, like I said, I think, you know, pretty much everyone knows somebody who, um, even if they're, if, if they're not obsessed with their appearance, I mean, certainly that's, a, a, I think, a huge uh, issue with a, with a lot of men and women, um, you know, especially, again, today in, uh, in our uh, image of Seth's culture. But I think, you know, just uh, there are people who are addicted to so many different things out there. And, you know, um, I know in my life, you know, I've been around... Um, you know, alcoholics and, and other, you know, people with addictions and, you know, you want to help them so badly and, you know, they have a, often uh, a chance to, um, to make a choice, right? And so, sadly, some uh, don't, uh, you know, they choose to continue down the, the rabbit hole or down that path, as you said. And um, no matter how much we want to help them, you know, I think that ultimately that has to come from within. And so I think, you know, in Cheryl's case, she does have a, a very clear choice here and um, she decides to go down that, that path of perfection. So, now, um, yeah, again, I just think it's something that a lot of people can relate to. Oh, absolutely. Now, this is, uh, this is adapted from your short, Face On, correct? Mm-hmm. That's correct, yeah. Now, how challenging was it for you as a filmmaker to expand your short into this feature film? Oh, um, yeah, that's a really good question. Thank you for asking. Um, you know, I, I would say, um, you know, making Face On a, a short film uh, was something we did really quickly on the fly. And, you know, I just started off with this idea that I thought was really gory and, and, and fun of a woman who 
chops off people's faces and wears them. I just thought that was a, a, a fun, scary idea. And so, but people started to ask, you know, um, how, how, how did she get this way? Like, why is she doing this? And from there, very naturally turned to Instagram and marketing and, and the feeling of being invisible or not good enough. So, um, you know, I, I consider myself primarily a writer. And so it was, it was a lot of fun to expand her world. And uh, certainly, you know, we, we took a little different tone um, in, the, in the feature. It, like you said before, it's more fun. Um, I would say face on is, is more dark and experimental and weird. <laughs> so uh, it was it was a, it was a it was certainly it's always a challenge to write a feature, you know, to to build up that story and keep it going for you know ninety pages or so. So, uh, but definitely it was a fun challenge. Well, and you know, face on was your first. It was a short. It was your first directorial effort. This is only your second directorial, and it's a feature. Um, you know, what was the, that directorial learning curve like for you from a, a, the technical aspect? Because then I want to get into your cinematography here uh, that Carlos, Carlos Rosas uh, brought. But I'm curious for you from the directing standpoint, how challenging was going from the short to the feature? Were there more things that you had to consider that never entered your mind for a short film? Uh, <laughs> well, well, certainly, uh, yes, there were a ton of things that I had to consider uh, with the feature. I, I just tell you a quick story on the short. It was my first directorial debut. And so for anybody listening, just to let you know that you can do it. When we shot our very first scene of the short, um, it was Anthea just putting on makeup. And our, our DP, which was a very simple scene, she's putting on the makeup, he's shooting it, and we're rolling and we're rolling and we're rolling. And I'm, I pretty much... Soon I turn to our, our, uh, our, our grip and I say, hey, you know, I think we got it. What's going on? Like, what are they waiting for? And he says, they're waiting for you to say cut. And so, um, I mean, that was how little I knew going into the short. So, you know, going into the feature, I knew a little bit more. But certainly there were, um, you know, had a great team. Like you said, Carlos Rosas, um, you know, Steph Nguyen, our, our wardrobe designer. So many great people in the cast and crew who uh, really helped me. Um, I, I don't, I'm not uh, ex exceedingly knowledgeable in all the technical side, but, you know, Carlos really helped to, um, I just kind of described what I wanted and he was very good at capturing that on the film. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, again, you know, I, I, I would just say I had, a, I'm, I'm very good at uh, having a vision and describing it to uh, my team. And then I'm also very good at finding people who are, more knowledgeable than me and really good at, at their craft and then just allowing them to do it. So, um, you know, I learned a lot, you know, uh, during, during the shoot. And I think, you know, um, you know, every day, every day things are, are coming up, but again, we had a great team that was able to come together and really help to create this film. Well, now you just said, you know, you described Carlos, what you wanted visually as your cinematographer, yeah. how you wanted it to look. Now, did the two of you then shot list um, in order, break it out? Or was it kind of just describing him for each scene what you wanted and then he just he starts shooting? I'm curious about that process. Sure, yeah. You know, um, when I first met Carlos, he asked me, um, you know, if this, was, if this film was a drink, what drink would it be? And I liked <laughs> that approach because, uh, again, it was more about the feeling 
you know, I, I said it would be like a cheap shot of whiskey. You know, it's like something that is a little, little rough going down, but it's going to kickstart a good night. You know, so um, really what I did was we didn't we did not have a shot list because, you know, we were we were getting locations on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, we had actors call out sick and, you know, get replaced with other people at the last minute. You know, all these sort of like indie film challenges. And so um, I really, you know, we, we certainly we talked a lot about movies that um, were inspirational, that we liked the look of things like um, Taxi Driver, Nightcrawler, you know, No Country for Old Men, these kind of neo-noir uh, films that I really liked the look of. And then he, you know, as far as like the lenses and things like that, I really left that in his hands for, for the most part. Um, you know, as far as, you know, um, are we going to do it handheld? Are we going to do it on sticks? Are we going to use this lens or that lens? You know, um, he really, from the technical side, I would say had a really big hand in that. I, I more managed, uh, I, I, I'm very concerned with the actors and their performance. Mm -hmm. And so I was really focused on, on that. And then of course, you know, he would check with me and say, Hey, do you like this? And if I said, you know, no, let's change this or yes, I like that. And then we'd work together to really, um, you know, frame the image. Um, and, and, uh, you, you know, if there was a lighting change that I wanted or something like that, they were, they were very good. We only had five people in the camera team. So, um, they all worked together really quickly to help bring this, this image to life. Now, something that I really loved is with some of Carlos's shots, He's got some great angles there, some great dutching. He's got some great, you know, down on the floor. So he's eye level on the floor with feet mm-hmm. or with dead faces. Uh, but <laughs> what really is will just hit people as they watch is when all of a sudden blood splatter is all over the, the, the camera lens. You do not spare anybody from that, which makes it so realistic. As we see Cheryl like above with an with an axe or with a knife, and then all of a sudden, you see the arm move, but you don't see the device. You, but then you have blood covering the front of the camera. <laughs> Absolutely, fantastically done. I I just love that. Um, that really it gets in your face, and it it will it will ca- whenever it happens you will be totally taken aback and you'll be caught off guard because you don't expect to see that. You expect to see an axe coming down. You expect to see a heel getting jabbed into somebody. You don't expect to see it come full frontal towards the camera and be showered in blood. Um, Very, very effective. Makes me wonder what goes on in your mind, Justin. But... And mine well, well, too. Daddy, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You're 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 talking to me. Uh, so I, you know, yeah, I I often wonder what goes on in my mind, Debbie. But um, I would say again, you know, uh, credit to Carlos and his team for really being willing to get down and dirty. Like we were out in the desert, um, and they're just like down there in the dirt. Yeah. Um, you know, doing whatever they need to do to get that shot. You know. You know, we did, you know, using whatever resources we had handy to, to do that, to, to get the shot. And then again, you know, um, I'm really happy and, and I appreciate you, you noticing the, our, our choices in, in the gore and the blood because, you know, we really thought a lot about, you know, how much do we want to show on screen? 
And then ultimately I decided that, you know, there's nothing I could make on the film uh, that would compete with your imagination. So whatever you think is going on, I think is, is yeah. 10 times better than, than what I could have created. So we wanted to kind of uh, utilize that in our film. And then, like you said, you know, still we wanted to see a lot of blood and gore. And so to be able to, uh, to splatter some blood on the screen, I, 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 I thought that was really fun and I was really happy to, uh, to add that to the film. Oh, I, I love that aspect of it. Trust me, trust <laughs> me. But, <laughs> but you know, and this, uh, this speaks to your editing for keeping us on tenterhooks mm. because, and also you throw us a, a lot of ambiguity here with the rideshare guy. We got a rideshare guy who keeps showing up to drive Cheryl home after certain excursions or before excursions um but you really keep us on tenterhooks as to who exactly how many serial killers are out there because he's very invested and he sees her get into his into his car and she's covered in blood and he kind of smiles unknowing something that really is titillating him that he finds very salacious mm -hmm. and wonderful. So you have to wonder, okay, because the police keep, detectives keep talking about multiple serial killers. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how many are running around out there? <laughs> well, I think that's a really good question because when we, when we start the film, we, we, we meet these two serial killer couples <laughs> Um, so right away, date night. right away, we're like, exactly this uh, serial killer date night, and uh, I'm so happy that you mentioned the rideshare driver. That's Philip Colt White. Oh my gosh! Like um, originally, originally the idea was that uh, every time she gets into one of these rideshare cars, that it would be a different driver. But he came in, and he just, oh my gosh, like he just knocked it out of the park. And so I went back, and I was like, he's He's got to be in the movie more than more than yeah. just one scene. So we we rewrote it as she keeps getting in as a runner, right? She keeps getting in with the same rideshare driver. And uh, what is going on with him? Yes, that that's the question. And uh, I like to uh, leave that a little ambiguous and as to uh, what's exactly his deal. Um, and I think Philip Kowai played that so marvelous, marvelous oh. marvelously that he just uh, you know. It, it's you know is he is he a serial killer is he uh, just a, a fan um, who knows is he uh, I think a, that's up is to... he a voyeur who's actually watching we don't know but the way you have structured this film and because of his character you have this wide open for a sequel well thank you so much Debbie that's right uh, I appreciate you saying that and anyone who's listening yes. It is wide open for a sequel, so uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to make, you know, uh, another Cheryl movie. I'd love to dive into this world even more. Yeah. Uh, I just think it, it's, I, had, I had such a blast making it. So now, all of this with the ambiguity and your pacing and all, this comes to your, falls to your editor, Michael Tang. What was the editing mm -hmm. experience like for you in cutting Cheryl? Because... It's so important. You've got you want to build tension, but you've also got comedy, dark comedy, 
So that's got its own beat. Tension has a beat. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. did you did you stand back and let Michael take the reins, or did you really sit there and collaborate with him on the pacing, on these cuts, um, to so, cut away, so to speak, to let our imaginations take hold? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, Michael did an amazing job with the editing. You know, we used... Uh, pretty much every piece of footage that we had, you know, we um, there, you know, in he, just the fact that you know he helped us to tell the story with what we had, um, I think is really a testament to his skill. And you know, certainly he he moved so fast and he put us together uh, a, a first cut really quickly, and then from there, uh, it was really a collaborative process. We sat together many times and you know worked. Um, you know, to work, as you said, on the pacing. My background mm -hmm. is in music, so uh, rhythm, uh, pacing, beats, uh, that was really important to me. And he was really good at sitting down and, um, again, taking my ideas and, you know, using his, his technical skills to uh, make them come to life and really capture. Um, because I think, there, as you said, there is a lot of uh, pacing involved. You know, if we sit in a, in a, in a spot too long or too short, you know, the joke might not land correctly or the, the feeling might not get there in exactly the way we wanted to, it to. So, um, you know, working together with him, we were able to really capture that, um, that balance between the horror, the comedy, the romance, and the message, all the different elements we had. No, I, I mean, I think you did an excellent job with that. And, you know, it's always difficult with any film, but especially with your low-budget, no-budget, micro-budget films. Um, which, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I love films like this that fall into that monetary category of zero dollars <laughs> because it really pushes the creativity of the, of the filmmaker. Um, and your creativity really comes out here. Um, I know that this was, you crowdfunded this. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, was, talk to me about that crowdfunding experience and how you got managed to scrape together enough money to put out a film that is this good. Because, I've trust me, I've seen plenty of films that were crowdfunded, low-budget, no-budget, micro-budget, and even then I wonder, who got the money? I don't wonder. <laughs> I don't wonder. <laughs> because it wasn't up on the screen. I don't wonder with, with Cheryl. I do not wonder with this film. I see the money on the screen. And I love well, that. Well, again, that, thank you. Thank you for that. That was really our goal. We wanted to put um, all of what little money we had on the screen. You know, we wanted to show everybody in the best light possible. You know, we did the crowdfunding campaign uh, pretty much. Uh, here's my secret. Uh, I emailed or texted or contacted every person I've ever talked to in my entire <laughs> life. Um <laughs> So, uh, yeah, if we do another one, Debbie, you might be getting an email from me. Okay, uh, but, you um, got it. You know, <laughs> but, you know, just, yeah, you know, we, we, we reached out to every person that we could. Um, and, you know, we, we got a really good response. And then, you know, we really wanted to honor those people who uh, contributed, you know, financially. The, and, and there were people who, who contributed uh, resources, mm -hmm. you know, their time. Um, you know, who, who, everybody who put something into this film, we really wanted to honor that. We really felt a responsibility to make the best film that we could, you know. And so 
I mean, the reason that I started this film journey, you know, four or five, six years ago was because I really wanted to highlight, uh, you know, Anthea, who I think is, is a phenomenal actor and, and my other friends who are actors and, and as well as a lot of my friends who are, are crew and behind the camera. So, you know, we, we wanted to really showcase um, those people and their skills and do that in a way that um, we could make the best film possible. And so I really, you know, feel like that's what we did. I'm really proud of the film, and I hope that everyone who contributed uh, feels the same way. Now, where can everyone see Cheryl? <laughs> well, we just had our world premiere at the Dances with Films Festival in New York. Yes, And you did. it went over. Yes, thank you. It, w it was a great experience. You know, thank you to Dances with Films and their whole team for having us out. You know, we're, we're continuing our festival run. Um, I expect we'll be in some more festivals in the new year. Um, you know, we are c currently pursuing different distribution options. So, um, you know, the best place to see it, um, we're going to be in some festivals, but definitely I would say follow us on social media. Um, we're at Cheryl the Movie uh, on, on your favorite social media. We're most, most active on Instagram. You can also see us on CherylTheMovie.com. Um, you can watch the short based on there. And, um, yeah, definitely I would say check us out, and uh, we'll keep you updated as to where you can see it. And, it's, and folks, it's Cheryl with an S, S-H-E-R-Y-L. So just so yes, you know. Yes, that's correct. Thank you. Because we have a couple different spellings for Cheryl. Uh, that's so true. want to make sure we get the right one out there. But, you know, looking for distribution, I've got to tell you, off the top of my head as I was watching this film, I was immediately thinking, Gravitas, Uncorked, Wild Eye. Those were the first three that came into my mind as distributors that this I think would fall right into their wheelhouse. Well, so. thank you so much. Yeah, I think those are, are great three great options. Um, you know, I, I definitely love to uh pursue distribution with any of those places. So, uh yeah, let's make it happen, Debbie. Let's, I let's, let's I get think it out there. I think we need to. I think we need to <laughs> because this film needs a distrib it needs distribution because it is just so good. People are going to love it when they see it. They're going to laugh, they're going to gasp, and they're going to have a good time. And they might also stop and think. Um, so you really, you, you checked all the boxes, Justin. Job so well done. <laughs> well, Debbie, thank you so much. And I, I really appreciate you saying that again. You know, again, I just want to say uh, we had a great team uh, you know, we, we have a great cast who really threw themselves into their roles. They did a lot uh, to really bring their performance to life. And, and, and then behind the camera, we had so many uh, talented people working, doing whatever they could to make sure that those performances were, were captured in the best way possible. And then again, in post, we, you know, had a great post team who all worked together again to really make sure that those, those performances and those images told a story that that we wanted to tell which again as you mentioned is it's fun um it's scary and i uh, hope it makes you think a little bit justin thank you so so much you're gonna have to come back on the show again well debbie i would love to i've, I've been i i really enjoyed speaking with you and i've been listening to so many of your interviews you you are such a, a great and passionate interviewer and and, and film oh, fan and i just appreciate how you really dive deep into the film's 
that you watch and the film and you know you ask such great questions oh, of the filmmakers you. that you speak to. So thank you for that. Thank you, Justin. And you have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you so much, Debbie. You too. Thanks, Justin. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that was Justin Best talking about Cheryl. CherylTheMovie.com. Follow it so that you will know when it's coming on the festival circuit near you or when a distribution deal hits. Unfortunately, we didn't have that much time with Tyler Norwood to talk about Fireline. That is out right now. You can find that streaming. Um, yes, unfor- because of our the wonky phones. Hopefully, hopefully, in January, they'll be all fixed if the phone company figures out what they're doing. So, that is all the time we have. Very quickly, I just want to mention, all you Cary Grant fans, classic film fans, it is out right now. Archie on BritBox. Four-episode miniseries, four hours of Cary Grant's life. And it is actually one of the cornerstones of this was Diane Cannon, his ex-wife Diane Cannon's biography, autobiography dear Carrie. um diane cannon is an executive producer worked closely with the actors jennifer grant his daughter is an executive producer worked very closely jason isaac's award-worthy performance as carrie grant laura aikman award-worthy uh as diane cannon you're going to do double takes when you watch her it is streaming on britbox the first two episodes are out now the next two come out i think next week I think it's next week, but it is spectacular. And all of my interviews with Jason, Diane, Jennifer, and screenwriter Jeff Pope and Laura Aikman, they're all going to be out this week within the next couple of days. So I can't, I just recommend it so highly. It's so good. And if you want to get, In addition to Diane's book, Dear Carrie, Jennifer's book called Good Stuff about her father, there was also a fabulous book on Cary Grant by Scott Iman. If you're watching on the Adrenaline Radio Facebook.com page right now, you'll see it on the tablescape. I highly recommend it. It is a really fascinating read, and it dives deep. Uh, So... Until next week, our final show, our final show of the year, uh, I'll be back. I think Frank Meyer's going to be here. So, until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. <laughs>